You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 1059 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up today, we hit the dirt for the Mud Girl Run later this month. Also on the show, how you can support your loved ones with Alzheimer's disease. And still ahead, helping post-secondary students manage their money. Now, here we are into the, you know, first few weeks of school, and some of us are still having trouble adjusting to that back-to-school routine. To help us through it, parenting expert Allison Schaefer joins us next. Allison, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Okay, so how do we get to it? Because you know what? We're into week two and three here, and some of us are still having some challenges. What do you think? (laughs) I have to tell you, one of the most kindest pieces of advice that I ever received when my kids were young and I was in these transition weeks was from a, um, a fellow parenting expert, but her children were older than mine. And when she said, you know, it pretty much takes you until the Christmas break to get recalibrated, just when you then take another break and have to start all over in January. And it really helped me to shift my expectation that we're supposed to hit the road running as if this is uh, an overnight flipping of a toggle switch. And it's not. It's a process. And, uh, or process, depending if you're American, process, process. Um, and so we need to be gentle with ourselves that we're, we're sort of, um, scaling skills on top of one another. And depending on whether your kids are just being dropped off at nursery school, they're starting that first time in a grade level or off to high school, we have to work with our kids to start establishing the skills and the routines that help the family get through back to school life harmoniously. Um, and so just be kind to yourself about the process that's unfolding. And I love the fact that you automatically took the pressure off. You know, knowing that this isn't a race and you shouldn't have to hit the ground running, that has been a help already. So that's wonderful <laughs> advice. So what do you do to organize yourself? How do you try to slowly then get back on track? So I always think that it starts with involving the kids in a conversation. And the reason why I say that is because we know from research that children are much more likely to give us their cooperation and live within agreements if they participated in having some voice and some say and be part of the problem-solving process of, you know, what do our mornings need to look like? What does getting to the bus on time look like? What does getting lunches figured out look like? What does homework time in our evening look like? so that they can step up and give voice to the structures that we need to create and and parents can then be more consistent in uh, upholding the limits and boundaries and keeping the schedule going. But kids do not like to be told what to do. They don't like to be controlled. They don't like to be pushed around. They're allergic to it. And we're not going to get very far. So, so instead, just have that. You know, I talk about family meetings all the time, and, and I, I am tried and true that they're important. And if you're a parent who says, Ugh, I tried that, that was a hassle, that was more work than it was worth, okay, so fine. Don't have them every week, but at least have them around key times in your life. And I would say back to school is one of them. So that we say, let's talk about our morning routine. Um, how do we think things should go so that I'm not yelling? We're on time, rides to school or people get on buses. Let's talk about all the things that have to get done in the morning and how we're going to accomplish that. And then we need to kind of sit back and listen, listen to to what the kids have to say. Mostly what's going to come of that conversation is percolating some sort of a time management list. And I like to start, again, not for the high school people, but if you have little kids, for example, you can just take little sticky notes and write down all the things that have to happen. We got to get out of bed. We got to brush our teeth. We got to get our knapsacks. We got to have breakfast. And then start to put some timelines around that. How long do you need in the bathroom? If you're in high school, you're going to need a lot longer to straighten your hair or you put the nice little beachy wave in it. <laughs> you know, um, so work out 
how long each of these elements take, and then talk about whose jobs are whose. So if you have little kids, you might still be helping them get dressed. You're not going to be doing that for an older child. So you might be saying, okay, so just so I understand, you're going to be from 7 o'clock to 7.15, you're going to have the bathroom, I'm going to be starting breakfast. You know, you're going to show up at the table, you'll eat or you won't eat, you'll make breakfast or you won't make breakfast, but I'm going to clear the table at 7.30. <laughs> so there's just sort of an understanding of the timelines and who's doing what. And I think why that's so important is that it really frees parents up to stop focusing on what your kids are doing and focus on the parts that you said you would be responsible for and just give lovely, not nagging, not, not pushing them, but just give a time prompt. I'm looking at the schedule and it says it's 7.15. I've got breakfast on the table. I'm looking at the schedule. It's 7.30. Nobody showed up. I'm packing it up again. We, we just need to focus on what we're doing and let kids experience what unfolds when they don't get on the family routine train. And it's really about letting kids learn some consequences. Um, and it's probably going to look a little bit sloppy in the beginning because kids might be late. But over time, they're going to see that you're really calibrating that routine, the routine, the schedule that they've had a part of creating. Now, this isn't just about back-to-school scheduling for sure. It's also the time of year when extracurricular activities begin. How do we add that to our timelines? Uh, So I would say most families are overscheduled. Hmm. And, And I don't say that just because I'm looking at society. I'm saying that because I sit in a counseling office. And I see families in a private practice and they come complaining <laughs> about being overscheduled. And to which point we have to say, well, just a second, this is not a schedule that was forced upon you. These were decisions that you made that you said yes to. And I'm inviting every parent out there to know that you can be a wonderful parent and raise wonderful children and have a lovely family life. And you don't need to say yes to every single thing that might enhance your child. They don't all need to know karate, seven languages. CPR, uh, you know, whatever it might be, um, those things are lovely, but I would not add more to your family uh, commitments than will erode your family functioning. So if you've got your baseline getting along, um, getting life done, and things are generally cooperative and things are going well, great, add something else to the schedule. But a lot of families are just torn in 27 directions And they're not doing some of the basic pieces of family life, which is, you know, getting along, loving each other, knowing that home is a safe place to go to. Most of our time is spent yelling at our kids to hand them off to some other adult, to hand them off to a teacher, a coach, a tutor. (laughs) And we don't do the part that's actually like, how about me? I'm your parent. I actually want to play a board game with you. So I think we have to, to, to be okay with scaling back on not filling our calendar so much. And helping kids know that if these are the extracurriculars, the word extra matters, it means it's not mandatory. It's nice, but not mandatory. So I made it very clear to my kids, I'd be willing to pay if they showed up, and I'd be willing to drive if they were ready on time. But it was really their commitment. So if they weren't ready and in the car with their bag packed for swim lessons, I'd say, I guess we're missing swim lessons. And if we miss three in a row, I might say it doesn't look like you're very interested in swim lessons and being independent around that. Um, Maybe we need to drop out. I think once kids sort of get themselves organized and when they become punctual and they start packing their own bag, it's actually not that much work for a parent just to drive them or to arrange a carpool with other parents or do shared meals with um, other parents. I've seen kids in competitive dance where the parents uh, draw their name out of a lottery and one parent cooks for the whole team. So it kind of alleviates some of the burden for all. Now, it sounds like this is about consequences and really following through. And I think sometimes parents have trouble with that. Do you see that in your practice? I do. And and here's why. I think that we are so overwhelmed with, again, all the challenges of running a family and working and these extracurriculars that the trouble becomes we just want to get through the moment and the moment will be easier if we don't have to deal with a fight or we don't have to deal with a whiny child or one who's tantruming. And so we just say, fine, five more minutes on the iPad, 
Sure, you can have the ice cream or whatever it might be. Always thinking that there's going to be another day where we're going to get this solved. But all it really does is it elongates poor behavior. I'd really like to see parents say, if we could just spend two or three times actually implementing the consequence, which is how children learn, that problem will be solved and you won't have to deal with it for the years to come. Uh, so it's about thinking more long term, that it will get worse before it gets better when you implement a consequence, but that's really where you're going to get traction. Allison, thank you so much for the great advice. I've been following your work and your career for a long time. If our listeners want to connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, well, thank you for that. And, you know, I got my start in York Region, so I'm very loyal to you folks. I did the parenting show up there, and we just put it back on the air on Rogers TV. Um, but people can certainly find information about me and the show, all the ways I'm on social media through my website at allisonshaper.com. Thanks so much once again for joining us on the feed. You bet. Thank you. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region, along with time management. Budgeting may also be one of those skills our college and university students need to learn. Afwaba with some expert advice. Post-secondary students are now living the university and college life, and they'll soon find that money can disappear fairly quickly if they don't manage their finances well. So joining me to chat today is Gov Sharma. He's the senior plan pro at Planswell. He's going to give us some tips to help post-secondary students manage their cash. Thank you, Gov, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. All right, not a, not a problem. Okay, so for residents that may not know, uh, what is Planswell? What do you do to help residents in the country? Planswell, we're an online financial planning company. And just to go back to financial planning, I'll start with that. Uh, it is, it was typically reserved for the wealthiest of the wealthy and usually majority of Canadians, they don't have a financial plan. So what we found is that most people don't know what to do on a monthly basis in order to reach their short, medium or long-term financial goals, at least in the most efficient way possible. So traditionally, Canadians, they need to go and chat with advisors at the bank who are usually on pretty aggressive commission structures or quotas or, or frankly just don't have the time to build a custom plan for uh, for their situations unless they have half a million dollars in the bank account or, or a million dollars plus. So what we're trying to do over here or what we're doing is we've moved financial planning and made it available online using software and technology. So now whereas it would typically take two weeks to create a financial plan, we can bring that down to three minutes. So anyone can go online to planswell.com and create a plan. It takes around three minutes. Then we jump on the line. We have a free consultation, get an idea of their goals, and really bake that into the plan and, and make it as custom as possible. So they can just be aware of all the tips and the tricks to uh, to end up in the most positive that cash flow position possible. That is awesome. You know what? And I think it's such a great thing in terms of it being uh, more accessible only because uh, we know across the country financial literacy is an issue. And of course, people don't have time to physically go into the bank. And as you mentioned earlier, um, people basically, they don't even have half a million dollars in their account, <laughs> let alone a six-figure um, number in their account to be able to know how to manage their money or get out of debt. So, I mean, I think it's a great alternative and it's a great way to have people have that ability to be more financially stable and, and have a better financial awareness of how they can um, better manage their money skills. You don't necessarily have to be a parent or a grandparent. You can be as a teenager or somebody going into post-secondary, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah, exactly. And finances, they, they do have such a, such a taboo or negative stigma sometimes, and it causes a lot of anxiety and stress for any anyone, whether whether they're in their fifties or sixties, or or just straight jumping into jumping into post secondary education. So really, that lack of financial literacy and education is what we're what's at the core of our uh, of our existence and, and what we're trying to deliver and bridge that gap. Eventually, you know, hopefully we get to the point where everyone is is financially literate and doesn't have to make the same mistakes that our parents have made or our family or friends have made in the past and and it's led to massive lifestyle declines in, in their lives right so it's all about making sure that we're well informed before we make decisions and and don't shoot ourselves in the foot 
uh, any, uh, any more than we need to. That's the main goal. Okay, all right. So let's focus on one core group right now, which is uh, post-secondary students. Um, now, with the recent changes to OSAP, a lot of students have voiced their concern um, about being able to manage their expenses with less cash. Uh, let's start off with what tips can you give students in general in order to help them out? Yeah, definitely. So I, I graduated from the University of Waterloo uh, a few years back, and uh, I can dev- definitely resonate with you know, having less cash, and, and now it's been made a, a little bit more difficult. But um, from my experience here, really having a plan and projecting what what a reasonable amount of money you'll need over the four years or remainder of your education is really important. So you know, you, you should have an idea of, of what's going to come from savings, if anything at all. What's going to come from OSAP? Uh, what are your parents going to provide if, if that's if that's a source as well? For the remainder, you're going to have a chunk of X thousands of dollars. And where is that going to come from? Uh, it's best to figure that out early and find the best lowest cost source of, of supplementing that income, whether that's a part-time job or figuring out low interest ways of taking on debt instead of, you know, just opening up credit cards and, and, and feeling terrible about it. Because at the end of the day, whether you have OSAP or, or credit cards or lines of credit, um, it's it's the mentality of, of putting purchases on those and, and not feeling good about how you're going to pay it off and not having a timeline for, pay, uh, for paying it off and a plan to pay it off. That's what causes a lot of that stress. Um, that's something most Canadians do need to deal with, uh, but you can help alleviate that stress by, by having a plan on how to tackle it. Another little tip there found particularly useful is uh, is using cash instead of a card. Uh, you know, when when you only use cash uh, when you spend it, it means you stop yourself from overspending uh, at the grocery store, but more more likely at the bars or at Starbucks around the corner. Uh, those those little purchases really really do add up, and and it's we our society like we've become so used to just tapping 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 all over the place. So. Uh, definitely going towards cash. It'll, it'll help prevent the interest that you pay, but also uh, also save your bottom line as well. I don't even think we realize it. In general, the culture that has now become of sort of money spending with the tap option now, you just sort of like you tap and it just goes away. And you don't even realize it. So I think the cash tip is a really great tip. Um, you mentioned something earlier regarding credit cards, which, of course, I'll just ask now then. So should students ever consider getting extra credit cards in order to help them pay their bills? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to paying your bills or debts, you want to think of debt in terms of high interest debt and low interest debt, meaning what does it cost you to carry that debt? So as a direct answer to your question, most of the time it doesn't make sense to open up a credit card in order to pay bills down because your credit card, that's costing you usually around 20% interest and it's a very, a very tough tough spiral to get out of if, if that gets out of control. Now, using a credit card and paying it off entirely at the end of the month, this is actually going to be really beneficial for you in terms of building your credit. But if you were to look towards alternate forms of financing, going to your bank and, and maybe looking like at a student line of credit or a personal line of credit, something that you can get approved at with a much lower interest rate, that would be miles ahead of opening up credit cards and getting into that kind of trap over there. Got it. Okay. I think maybe maybe the information isn't out there necessarily enough for people to know about uh, different lines of credit. I think the most thing that people hear about is just get a credit card and I guess they they the, the papers are are all there and online you can easily apply for one. So I think it looks like that's the the go-to solution, but there are other options there, as you just mentioned. So that is awesome news to know. Yeah, and, and just, to, just to add on that really, really quickly, and which will give them 6 or 7 or 8% when you've already been conditioned to take on the 20% debt, right? And that's why you don't, you don't see that being the, the go-to option. So usually have an existing credit card balance, even right now, I think it would make a lot of sense to go to your bank, look look to get approved for a line of credit, and actually just transfer that balance over. So now even while you pay that down aggressively or however you can pay it down, you're saving quite a bit on interest over that time. 
Awesome. Okay, great tip there. Um, just uh, quickly, what are some biggest, one of the biggest rather, money grabbers that students may not be aware of? I know we alluded to it earlier with uh, Starbucks. <laughs> so food definitely is one of those big ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eating out and alcohol, uh, those things, and Ubers, uh, Ubers and Uber eating, those things will drain your account like nothing like one careless saturday night and you're you're down easily a hundred dollars another thing to do is especially if you're just going into post-secondary education um you're gonna go to your classes and and look at all the textbooks like those textbooks can be crazy crazy expensive um like just very 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 expensive so um oftentimes you can you can find used or 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 textbooks on amazon for a fractional price, that can uh, really, really help save you some dollars over there. Um, getting used to the lifestyle of cooking and preparing preparing meals is, is really good as well. Um, restaurants and, and eating out can can add up very, very quickly. Uh, you probably want to learn to cook at home, preferably with you know food like chicken, rice, pasta. Get used to see, being good at seasonings, things like that. Um, it varies from person from person to person, uh, really. If you're uh, if you're moving to a place as well, furniture can can really add up to the expenses as well. Like if you want to look at Facebook Marketplace, you can get some awesome deals on on desks or or bed frames or mattresses, and uh, all that all that helps your savings and adds up. So you you sort of capped it all out there in terms of even those returning to school and those uh, going to post-secondary for the first time. Those are awesome, awesome tips. Um, where were you when I needed you when I when I was going to school? But I mean, as you mentioned, well, it's always was, prevention. Where was I when I needed myself as well? Right? And that's the issue. You don't you don't know about the tips until you know about the tips. And usually when you learn about the tips, you're already past the time when they would be useful. <laughs> Fair enough. You, you brought up a great point there. Um Let's uh, maybe use some technology to help out the students. Is there any apps that you can suggest that can help with budgeting? Yeah, definitely. So at planswell.com, there's budget calculators. There's a lot of investing calculators and and just a lot of good research over there. So uh, if any students wanted to build a budget, uh, planswell.com or or the Mint app is a great resource for tracking your spending, Uh, typically from a planning perspective, budgeting. It's, it's not so much budgeting, but rather reprioritizing your, your spending as well. Because the goal of a financial plan is not so that you save every last penny and you can retire as early as possible, unless that's your goal. Really, it's about living whatever you deem a good or, or maintainable or healthy quality of life from now until, morbidly speaking, the last day that, that we're alive over here. Uh, so getting a grasp, a grasp around your spending habits in general and, you know, spending money on the things that are going to bring you a lot of joy and, and, and spending less on, on things like, like transportation, which may save you a couple minutes or delivery fees and, and budgeting general, generally for the things that aren't going to improve your quality of life. That's a good place to start. So uh, the Mint app is a great resource over there, as well as uh, planswell.com. The, the budget calculator is awesome. Which leads me then to my next question, because this has been such a great conversation. Where can residents go for more info, more tips, and if they need maybe help and financial planning for themselves? At planswell.com, uh, it takes around three minutes to actually build a free financial plan. Uh, you know, computers are only so good these days. So from there, uh, we actually have a conversation, a free conversation where we get an idea of what your situation is, what your goals are. We help you budget a little bit, but really give you a lot of direction when it comes to uh, investing and, and all parts of your financial plan. Uh, so that's, a, that's a, a great place to get started. I know with most schools, uh, they do offer things like tax clinics run by accounting students and, and professors during tax season. So that's another another really good resource that should take advantage of um, over there. And um, yeah, mint.com is, is good for budgeting, but uh, otherwise it's it's really having a plan at the end of the day, whether, you know, university is, is, is tough and, you know, you get used to it, but uh, money, it, 
typically it'll never feel like it's quite enough. So uh, if you can relieve some of that stress and, and not feel terrible about your purchases along the way, that'll, that'll set you ahead, um, ahead of the game. Gov, thank you so yeah. much for joining me today and, of course, talking about budgeting tips for post-secondary students. Um, I think these tips could even go beyond post-secondary and could even help adults learning how to manage their finances well. I think these are lifelong tips that everyone can use. So thank you for you know imparting your wisdom, and uh, let's hope that we set ourselves on the right track financially. Thanks so much, Gov. No problem. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including a preview of the Mud Girl Run at Boyd Park. Jim Lang with the dirt on this one. Coming up on the 28th of September in Toronto, something really cool, uh, I guess in concert with Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the hashtag Pink Army, something called the Mud Girl Run. To talk more about it, thrilled to be speaking with Jenna Lawback on the feed. Jenna, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Well, good. Tell us about the Mud Girl Run and the Pink Army. Yeah, uh, so the Mud Girl Run is an obstacle race uh, for women only. Uh, it's going to be taking place at the, the Boyd Conservation Area on uh, September 28th this year. So, as I said, it's uh, an obstacle race with uh, 17 obstacles that are doable by all women. And the Pink Army is actually the participants that come and participate in this this run. We end up uh, calling them the Pink Army, give them a sense of belonging, and it makes sure that whenever they get their medal, they know that they're part of the Pink Army. And there, and there must be a real sense of pride and accomplishment for the group of women to compete in this, to finish it together as a team. Exactly. That's fantastic. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this going, I want to be part of this. How do they sign up to take part in this in Mud Girl Run? Uh, so we have a website. It's uh, www.mudgirlrun.com. Uh, and from there, uh, they can pick whichever the location they want. We have done uh, races this year in the past in Quebec and in Ontario. We have two upcoming ones in Ontario, the one in Toronto and the one in London as well at the end of September. So they can go there or they can also uh, follow us on Facebook at the, the Mud Girl Run. Now, what kind of training, if I if, say I know a woman that wants to take part in this, what kind of training should they be doing leading up to the event on the 28th? So we like to uh, really force on the fact that this race is doable by everyone. And when I mean everybody, it is from the littlest one uh, as a part of seven years old all the way to 99 years old, we'll say. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, we have uh, all types of uh, all types of women there. We don't necessarily require training. If somebody wants to train, they can uh, train to do a 5K run since most of the course runs uh, 5K long. But all the obstacles are doable by everyone and can be skipped by everyone. So just a reminder, oh, sorry, it's mudgirlrun.com. And I would imagine there's a real sense of team and and anticipation at the start of these events. Walk us through it at the start, Jenna, then through the race, then afterwards. So uh, the start of it all is very exciting. Uh, When the the participants come in, they have to do a check-in. So they have to make sure to bring their IDs and their ticket. They can bring it on their phone. We'll scan it. They enter the Mudgirl Village. There is a crazy amount of high energy with an awesome uh, DJ and animator. They really pump everybody up with awesome music and uh, they enter the start zone. They call five, four, three, two, one, and they go ahead and start their run. And it's all an adventure from there. Okay. How muddy do you get? So we make sure that the participants really get muddy because it is called Mud Girl. So they can really, really anticipate a lot of mud. We have around seven to eight mud pits that they have to crawl or enter or swim in. Oh, so you have to do a, one of the, like something of all levels to get through these different mud pits. Doable by all, but the different kinds of mud pits, yeah. Now, what, what, what was it about the, the Breast Cancer Foundation that appealed to the Mud Girl, the Mud Girl Run, that you decided that that's what you wanted to associate yourself with? So the founders of the Mud Girl Run, actually, uh, when they started the, the Mud Girl Run, they uh, found out that somebody in their family, their aunt, was actually, um, they actually she had the breast cancer and uh, decided that they wanted to do something bigger 
uh, to be able to give back to this um, to this foundation and to be able to make sure that research is done to uh, to eliminate this. So they associated themselves. They contacted somebody from the Breast Cancer Foundation, and uh, from there it's been a easy partnership, uh, and we make sure that uh, we do give back. And, and, and I must I must imagine that when the women finish and they're all sort of like huddled together, there's a real sense of empowerment and togetherness afterwards that you did something together to help people, to help other women. They help each other as well uh, within the obstacles of the race. Uh, there are some places where they they might need some encouragement to, to keep going in the run or to make sure that uh, they hold each other's hand while they go into the mud pits uh, so they don't slip and fall too much. Uh, so that there's really a sense of uh, of togetherness within the race, before the race, when they make, they create their groups, within the race, and afterwards when they receive their medal as a group. I think it's fantastic. It's mudgirlrun.com. Saturday, September the 28th at the Boy Conservation Area. Mud Girl Run, you can get the hashtag Pink Army, all in support of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Jenna, thank you so much for this. Get nice and muddy. Raise lots of money for breast cancer awareness and have a lot of fun on what should be a great event for everyone taking part. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jenna. Take care. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next story takes us to the Alzheimer's Society of York Region and the work they do to support those with the disease and their families. Over a million people in Canada are affected directly or indirectly from Alzheimer's and dementia. September is World Alzheimer's Month and joining me to chat today about ways we can support loved ones who have the disease is Lauren Freed, the CEO of Alzheimer's Society of York Region. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure, Afwa. Talk to me about the Alzheimer's Society of York Region and the resources you offer to residents. Yeah, so the Alzheimer's Society of York Region, we've been actively supporting individuals and families coping with Alzheimer's disease and related dementias uh, for over 30 years. And we do this in a variety of ways. Uh, we provide uh, quality dementia-specific day programming service as well as uh, enriched social work programming and educational uh, opportunities. Um, which uh, help to provide uh, navigation to families across the healthcare sector, um, uh, gives them information on tools on how to cope with dementia, and um, be there for families uh, throughout the uh, trajectory of the entire disease process. Definitely maybe for those that may not know or understand what the disease is, what it does, um, is that what necessarily the theme is for this year? It's not necessarily something in specific, but it's helping to better educate people on uh, what the illness is about, correct? Yes, I'd say that's exactly right. Really, um, World Alzheimer's Month, it's, it's an international campaign, and uh, it is supported by... 72 different Alzheimer associations from across the world, including the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. And it's an international campaign to raise awareness about dementia and challenge the stigma that surrounds it. And we aim to do this in order to get people uh, talking more comfortably and openly about Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. So then, as you just pointed out there, the stigmas that are associated with the illness, can you talk to me about maybe some of the myths or the stigmas that's associated with, with Alzheimer's and dementia? People are often uh, afraid uh, to react to um, a, a health situation until a crisis develops. Uh, and what we want to do is um, um, uh, to get people interested and to make people aware that it is important to try to receive a diagnosis of dementia before a crisis develops. So um, if, uh, if you see some outward signs of some very unusual behaviors or um, um, uh, people forgetting very obvious things on a consistent basis, um, or um, people disoriented uh, 
uh, by a certain time or place on on various occasions. Um, as these things accumulate, it's time to be thinking about how to address them. And uh, uh, going to your doctor and uh, um, and uh, looking for the opportunity to diagnosis is an important way of doing that. And you mentioned too some of the the myths because um, some people think that it, you know there is that occasional slip up or they might forget something here and there and they think maybe that might be leading on to something. But you mentioned a key word there in terms of consistency and how consistent maybe you might be forgetting something or maybe disoriented that maybe that would be the trigger to think, hey, it's time to go see a doctor to to finally diagnose this and see what's going on. That's right. So, so for instance, with respect to experiencing changes in mood and behavior, I mean, anyone can become um, mad or moody at any particular time. But a person with dementia may suddenly become unusually emotional or moody uh, for no apparent reason on a consistent basis. And it's when something like that happens that um, um, uh, it should be checked out. Um, and, and I would say to you, Afwa, at uh, no other time has this been as important about the need to talk comfortably about dementia than now, um, uh, particularly here in Ontario, because we're living in a province that is rapidly aging. And within a short while, there will be more people living in Ontario uh, over the age of 65 than under the age of 15. And while people generally age well, and dementia is not a normal part of the aging process, age nonetheless is the most significant risk factor for dementia. Um, wanted to ask, though, in general, of course, Alzheimer's and dementia is more widely connected to those who are of an older age, but um, it's not necessarily always connected to seniors. Is there um, some where those can be diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's or dementia at a much younger age? I mean, as I said, age is the most significant risk factor. However, um, we are seeing... Um, people diagnosed with dementia uh, uh, at, uh, at, at, uh, in their 40s and 50s as well. Um, so as soon as you start seeing some uh, warning signs, um, the best thing is to do is to go see your doctor or to contact your local Alzheimer's Society for further information as to um, uh, how to uh, uh, how to go forward. Are there any, of course, events uh, happening throughout the month that, to help educate residents? Yeah. So um, uh, I would say, um, well, there are a variety of things that are being done. Um, you could help support uh, York Region residents impacted by dementia um, by uh, hosting a coffee break event, for instance. Um, a coffee break event or any other event that uh, uh, can raise funds and awareness uh, that help support York Region residents impacted by dementia. And you can contact the Alzheimer's Society of York Region or check our website in terms of um, um, how, to, uh, how to organize uh, an event. Um, you, could, um, you can contact the Alzheimer's Society of York Region uh, for simply seeking further information. Uh, about dementia and uh, and Alzheimer's disease and uh, and where and where you could receive help. Um, I'd, I'd also like to say that um, uh, in a dem- in demonstrating this openness um, that we're trying to achieve with respect to the dialogue about dementia, there are communities across Ontario that have proclaimed September 21st. Dementia Friendly Day and are lighting up landmarks in blue and white to raise awareness about the importance uh, of being a welcoming society for people impacted by dementia. And specifically here in York Region, um, uh, the city of Markham, the town of Newmarket, uh, and the town of Aurora thus far have proclaimed September 21st as Dementia Friendly Day for World Alzheimer's Day. Um, New Market will light up the Riverdale Commons, 
uh, and the Fred A. Lundy Bridge. Uh, Markham will light up the John Daniels Gateway. So, um, so communities are showing um, uh, their openness uh, uh, about uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias in some very positive ways. Oh, that is so beautiful to see. I mean, uh, that on that day, it's going to be widely recognized um, and that there are so many different things that you can do grassroots wise, locally wise, as you mentioned, in terms of hosting a coffee break to um, just keep the conversation going and not let it be necessarily um, something that should be hidden. Well, and it's um, really and very often uh, a person may not necessarily be aware um, uh, uh, about Alzheimer's. Um, and that's why a diagnosis is important. Um, a diagnosis will help the family better understand uh, the position they are in, um, how the person can cope, and what supports they can receive in order to move forward. Awesome. Okay, Lauren, this has been such a great conversation. Can you just once again plug um, where residents can go for more information if oh. they uh, need any more advice or tips? Yes, so for sure. So uh, they they can contact the Alzheimer's Society of York Region. Um, you can you can contact our website at uh, alzheimer-york.com, or you can give us a call at uh, 905-726-3477, and uh, we'll be able to. Uh, uh, to address all your questions and uh, and issues. Perfect. Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today. And of course, uh, let's uh, sparking this conversation about World Alzheimer's Month, but I hope it goes beyond September and that we can continue to have this discussion moving forward. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Afwa. My pleasure. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for a replay. On our next stop, we catch up with musician Alan Doyle from Great Big C. Alan, a pleasure. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, it, it's, I, I'm always fascinated by your career and the, the love of Newfoundland to people in, as they say, Central Canada, Upper Canada. You're a kid from Petty Harbor, Newfoundland. Newfoundland's in your blood. And over the last few years, Alan, I don't know what it is. It's, it's between you and your music career and Come From Away and the recognition of Gander Newfoundland. There's, there's this like renewed love affair with this, the, 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 the most far east province in the country. Yeah, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've always loved it, of course, and it's just been a bit of a secret, I suppose, you know, because um we are the newest province and it, it uh you know we're in the middle of the ocean so it takes uh it takes a while for people to uh to find it you know and that's one of the charms about newfoundland labrador is that it's not it's not on the beaten track right it's not um it's not uh, a place you could accidentally uh normally accidentally end up and uh so it's a uh, yeah it's dear to my heart and i it, i like it because it's different and it's, it's it's out in the middle of like of nowhere and uh, i kind of like the coming and going from there the the kitchen party is famous in the Maritimes. I have roots in Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland takes it to a whole new level. The the yeah. ability to introduce the whole idea of the kitchen party and that everyone's welcomes kind of mindset to the music, to the rest of the country and in the music world. That must is that always been a goal of yours? It's just the way you perform. It came about very organically for me because that whole postcard kind of uh, you know TV commercial thing about a about a kitchen party, you know where. People gather in the kitchen to sing songs, and 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 that was my life. That that actually was my young life. Like that is the Doyles in Petty Harbor were the minstrels. They still are, right? And I was born into that family. And and whenever you know word got around that there was a party in my house, everybody around town wanted to come because there was music and songs by great singers. And, and, and I was lucky enough to be born into that. And uh, I'm just one of the many Doyles in a long line of Doyles who'll be singing, I'd say. And uh, when I went to play music uh, for a living, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was to, wasn't to, to play Chicago blues or, you know, California rock and roll or uh, or to do it like a classical musical recital. It was just to do it the way I'd always done it, which is inclusive and getting people to sing along. And, and so that's what kitchen parties are all about. They were like, 
the greatest singer in the kitchen party is not the guy who can sing the highest notes, but rather the guy who can get the most people to sing along. And and that's uh, I've always just carried that with me. It feels natural to me. As a musician, Alan, is that the ultimate reward for you when you're in a place like the Magna Hoedown or wherever you're performing and they have that same kind of attitude, the crowd, that they're getting into it the way you want them to get into it? Musically, for me, like I always think that playing the music takes care of itself. That's satisfying enough for me just to do it. The, as the entertainer in me only wants one thing, and that's to give people the greatest night out of their lives. That's it. That's what I'm trying to do every single night. And usually, you know, for me, that means having people walk out the door feeling like they have done something, not that they have seen something, that they were part of it. And we all went in there together to have a good time, and we all left having had a great time. So that's, that's the goal for me. In this mixed-up world we live in, Alan, there's stress for everyone paying the bills. I mean, I have a daughter in university now. We have an election going on. There's Sometimes we need an escape, and, to, and not just with drugs and alcohol, but music. And there's something about that feel-good music, that escape, just for about an hour of your life where everything's just okay. Yeah, it's great to have that uh, escape, and it's great to have uh, the, the feeling that... Uh, the little world that you're in inside is uh, is yours and yours alone, you know, and concerts are special that way, aren't they? Well, and that's that's one of the reasons I go, and that's one of the reasons I think a lot of people go, is they just can shut out all that outside noise and feel good about themselves for that little bit of time and almost connect with a guy like you or whomever's on stage. Yeah, and it's old and ancient, isn't it? I mean, it's like there's so much technology and, uh, and different ways for people to entertain themselves, yet... Um, people still line up and, 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 and buy tickets to a fella standing in front of a microphone and, and singing to them. People still love that, and I'm so grateful that they do. Speaking with Alan Doyle, one of the icons of Canadian music, the pride of Petty Harbor, Newfoundland, and one of the headliners for the annual Magna Hoedown. For a kid growing up in Petty Harbor, Newfoundland in the 70s, did you ever think in your wildest dream you'd be on stage toe-to-toe with the star of the Gladiator, Russell Crowe? <laughs> I would have been a fool to have even thought that possible. <laughs> yeah, that's just good luck, you know, and, and timing and, and good fortune, I suppose. I, you know, I met Russell in the early 2000s when he was in Toronto filming a movie called Cinderella Man. And uh, I'd heard of Great Big C and was a fan of Great Big C through another pal of ours, Kevin Durand. And, and you know, so I met Russell and we, we actually gave out a trophy at the NHL Hockey Awards that year. And that's uh, how we met. And, uh, you know, we just struck up a friendship and started writing songs for his band and then for Great Big C, and then we wrote some songs for movies, and we wrote a bunch of music. And then, um, a few years into our, our friendship, they needed a, an Irishy sounding fellow who could play medieval instruments and lutes and stuff uh, for a movie. And they called me, and I ended up doing, you know, being Alan Adele in Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I'm always fascinated by the breadth of your career, Alan, not just on stage, but just in the community and as an author. You've written, I know your last book was A Newfoundlander in Canada, Always Going Somewhere, Always Coming Home, um, a member of the Order of Canada. Do you ever sometimes sit back and drink in a coffee or a cup of tea and think, it's been a pretty good ride? About twice an hour. <laughs> 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 Oh, my God, man. I shake my head and rub my forehead three times a day sometimes. Going like, I'd be happy just to, uh, you know, just to be able to sing songs for a living. You know, all the rest of the stuff is such a blessing. You know, it's like, it's all, it's all good. It's all good and nothing but good. The, when you see the success of Come From Away and in Broadway and in Toronto and how it's people really open their eyes to what Gander did. We just had the anniversary of 9-11. It, it, there has to be a sense of pride for you and all Newfoundlanders how Newfoundland opened their hearts in that day and basically rescued thousands of people they've never met before. Yeah, and, and you know, that's one of the things about Cumber Way that, that thrills me other than, you know, it's international success and how very, you know, they found a, a bright life, you know, on a, you know, on the darkest day and, and, uh, um, the one thing that I'd love to talk about is how that's just one of the stories they could have told, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Newfoundlanders being the beacon in a storm, of course, is ancient and well told and storied. And like, they, you know, Come From Away focuses on 9-11, but they could have easily focused on the Truxton and Pollock's disaster in the Second World War and another one before that and another one before that where there was an international disaster and the place where people came uh, for, you know, for refuge was Newfoundland. 
and they were welcomed and loved. And uh, that's been going on for centuries. And I'm so glad that it's finally that story got its due in such a beautiful, uh, in a beautiful fashion. You know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's not a mistake that Newfoundland every year has the highest per capita amount of money donated to charities than anyone else in Canada. That's just that's just the way you guys are wired, and I, I think it's really cool. Alan, I'm a, a big fan of you as a musician, but I think even more so as a person. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us, and continued success, and no matter what you do. That's what it's all about. Thanks, Alan. Cheers. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Just before we go, music coordinator Christina Lavecchia and the change of sounds from Bree Taylor. Start the drums, here I go. Are you ready now? Crank up that old microphone. About to let it all out. Y'all get out of my way when I'm coming through. I'm just misunderstood. Whatever, it's all good. What they say is too much is not enough. Not You were just listening to singer-songwriter Brie Taylor's latest single, Turn It Up. And we have her right here in studio. Welcome, Brie. Thank you for having me. You first started performing in front of audiences at the age of six, singing in the school choir. How did singing and performing develop into something more for you? So for me, because I didn't grow up with any musical kind of talent in my family, like no one in my family is musically really inclined, um, I basically had school as an outlet to learn and and develop my talent um which i kind of learned that i had it i was actually scouted for choir in the the schoolyard and the choir teacher came up to me and asked me to join and then i was like oh someone actually thinks i'm good because i at that point i just had this dream in my mind um and so it was really cool to have access to music programs in school growing up to kind of develop that talent and then realize that i had the passion for this and that i had the ability and that i was capable uh, especially having been bullied through school. It's like you're all constantly told you're not good enough and all of that. So it was really great to have that outlet. And uh, it then opened me up to songwriting. So I was always, I've always been a writer. I'm a very emotional person. So I always poured that into my lyrics and poems. And so I wrote like my first kind of crappy songs, like at the age of like eight, nine, ten, around those kind of years where you're just dabbling with some of it. And I think my first song was called Call 911, You Stole My Heart Away or something like that. That's it was cute. So cute, but lame, like really lame, like you, what a 10-year-old would write. And it was one of those things. And it just kind of transitioned from that. And then my, my passion, my parents saw how much I loved it. They enrolled me in further music programs to kind of develop from there. And I think it just kind of slowly started building and giving me the confidence to know that I am able to do this. And I've had to battle so much throughout my life, um, not just with like being bullied in school, but I've battled depression and anxiety. And I'm very open about that. I'm very open about being a mental health advocate. And uh, so those things have really just kind of helped me grow as an artist and as an individual, which kind of pours it into my music. Uh, So it's just been a really cool outlet. And it just having access to all of that at a young age, just let me kind of grow as a as an artist and realize that I can do this. And now now I'm here. Who did you grow up listening to? Um, I grew up listening to so many different artists and I think that's kind of why with my sound you can hear different uh, genres uh, because I listened to everything from classic rock to country to pop to I even had a metal phase back in the day. Um, so I've listened to so many different types of music and my parents were big music lovers. Like I was always surrounded by music growing up, which I think also really instilled that passion and interest in music into me. And uh, I listened to like Elton John, the Eagles. Uh, my mom always was playing Shania Twain and Amanda Marshall and like Shania Twain is like my my idol for like country music and I love what she did and she came in and made something different in country and changed mm-hmm. the game and I feel like that's something that I really idolize and have I, I want to kind of almost replicate in what I'm doing and my first album that came out was pop and now I'm transitioning into country and this new single Turn It Up is a perfect transition song I think for me because it's got that 
crossover appeal between the pop and the country sounds. The response we've been getting is really good on it, which I love. I'm so happy to hear that people are loving the song and that it's doing exactly what I wanted it to. And it's just so great to see something that you've worked so hard for so long on um, because this transition for me from pop to country has been something I've been working on for like a year and a half, even before the album came out last year. You also have your own podcast called Unapologetically Brie. Um, What made you want to start a podcast? So with podcasting, I feel that like, as you can tell, I'm a talker. I like to talk a lot. I'm very open. I'm, a bo- I'm an open book. Um, and it's, it kind of started off a lot where me and my girlfriends were talking about dating experiences and we were talking about dating and relationships. And this day and age, there's a lot of online dating, like app dating is a big thing. People don't really approach people anymore. So there's a lot that comes in that with like catfishing and ghosting and all yeah. these like terms and, and stuff that you experience if anyone listening is a single in the dating world nowadays, because it's not even just the younger millennials it is the older generation my mom and her friend are, are have been single and um, I've talked to women in their 50s even and they still go through the same things now it's all app stuff so it's really crazy it's a weird I'm a little bit more traditional so I don't love it but you got to roll with the times and um, so I, it was like an outlet for me to experience uh, like to share my experiences with dating and if somebody can learn from my mistakes or things that have happened to me and I can teach them or let them learn from what I've been through and and they don't have to go through the hurt and things that I did, then that's kind of something that I uh, really want to be able to do. And I find that it's really relatable because a lot of people go through dating issues and there's love. It Like when you're writing music, love is always the number one thing you want to talk about. Different types of love lost, love gained, like all these different types of topics. So I find that being able to have a different way to explain what goes on behind the scenes of writing a song or those types Mm -hmm. of things or the dating world. It's uh, it's interesting. It kind of even opens up the conversation for your fans as well. Because when you write a song, uh, yeah. you know, you write it, you produce it, you put it out there. But even having that podcast allows, you know, your fans to come in and listen and even yeah. just tweet at you or write at you. And have you found that you've gotten that response? Yeah, it's been really great to get people's response uh, from the podcast, from songs and music. Like when people reach out to me and say, this song really helped me through something or I really identified with that or I connected with you on this level or it made me feel better. Even if it like any little way of connecting with somebody is so important to me and means so much because music was there for me when I had nothing else, when I was bullied in school and I was feeling alone and isolated. And it was just amazing to be in, uh, to start becoming an artist and releasing my emotions and feelings and to kind of see it doing that for other people. Like it's just kind of like full circle and it's really driving the passion behind what I do. So if anybody wants to check out Breeze Music podcast and other YouTube content, um, they could head over to her YouTube channel, which is her name, Brie Taylor, Brie Spell. B-R-E-E. Yes, not like the cheese. (laughs) (laughs) You have actually new music coming out. Uh, The new single is Turn It Up. Yeah. So tell us a bit about it. Yeah. So Turn It Up is my latest single is about being unapologetically yourself. It's like, who cares who you are or what you're doing? Listen to loud music. If you want to listen to loud music, party, have a good time, be you, be Mm -hmm. unapologetically you. And so I really loved that this video for Turn It Up came out and was really representative I think of the song and my video director Alex was amazing and it was his whole concept and idea and I loved it and like it's like a one take video walking through Kensington Market and performing and singing and dancing on camera so that was one take that's yeah, crazy all in one take like it just start to finish there was no cutting no editing he followed me through the whole street through the whole song so but there was no extras those were actually they just... were real people like that's the coolest thing is when the video came out that was the main question I had even my friends that didn't know that I was doing it they were like did you hire those people are they like actors were they placed there did they know what was happening did you prep them ahead of time no Everything was completely <laughs> organic and real, which is cool because then you want to watch the video over again. Yeah, know? I watched like, it a couple of times. It was right? fun to watch. Yeah, yeah like I love that. Even me because I, I was doing what I was doing. So I didn't know what was happening behind me. So then I'm watching. I'm like, oh, that happened. Oh, a truck went by. Oh, I almost got hit by a car. That's great. I'm glad I still am alive. Like there's little things like that that even I wanted to rewatch and, and, and watch it over again because it's so fun. Yeah. And I just think it gave people more of a way to enjoy the song because the single came out July 5th and then we had the video come out early August so it was really great to kind of give them another reason to love it in a different way and I just I'm so happy that people are loving the song and then we actually have a new single so I'm really excited about that it's called Drive and we were shooting a music video like a full-blown music video for that one in Los Angeles California and uh, it was such a fun experience and but yeah I'm so excited about the new song and I can't wait we're going to to release that uh, mid-September for the video so I'm excited awesome so fans and listeners have 
have the new single to look forward to, yeah. um, the new music video. Yeah. Um, are you doing any upcoming shows? Yeah, so I have a, I just recently booked a show at the Moonshine Cafe in Oakville on October 23rd. So it's a nice uh, intimate acoustic night. Um, it's a Wednesday evening and it's a really cool venue. I love performing there. It's really great to kind of share your new music that's not out yet. So I think I'm going to uh, be performing one of my songs that will be coming out in the new year. So if people want to hear that early and hear a nice intimate acoustic version of it, they can. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that show. And I mean, I'm booking more stuff. So I'll be posting on my social media and my website whenever I have more things that are confirmed. So um, BrieTaylor.com or my Instagram is BrieTaylorOfficial. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming by. It was really great talking to you. Thank you. A teaser for Bree's music video for her new single, Drive, is now available on her YouTube. To see a snippet of our interview and to catch a live performance that Bree did for us right here at our studio, be sure to head over to york24-7.com. I'm music coordinator Christina Lavacchia. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or community event to share, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.